0: something is clearly wrong with our judicial system when terrorists are allowed to roam free. came across a story in the Australian media just a few minutes ago that I'd like to cite at some length because it points out to something really wrong with our judicial system and our ability to stop acts of terrorism. So last Thursday, December the 17th, an elderly couple uh, was killed in their home in Brisbane. Brisbane is a city in uh, North Australia, sort of in Queensland up on the northeastern coast, I guess it is, were killed by a knife wielding man who was later shot by police, Australian police, and he was killed. Now, who was this guy? Well, this guy's name was Raghi Abdi. He was 22 years old and he had a bit of a history. Back in 2019, he was arrested because he was seen as an ISIS or Islamic State affiliate. Or the, the article called him an ISIS influenced killer. So he was picked up in May 2019 on the suspicion he was trying to leave Australia to depart Brisbane for Somalia. Not sure why I was going to Somalia if he's inspired by ISIS, although there is an Islamic State affiliate in Somalia. Uh, the problem was he was released without charge and because the evidence was insufficient. And although his passport was canceled, so he couldn't leave the country. He faced more charges a month later, including refusing to give detectives the passcode for his phone. So even though they had his phone, they couldn't get access to what he was browsing, what he was sharing, what he was texting. And he was free on bail, although he was forced to wear a GPS bracelet, which he then proceeded to cut off before he murdered this this couple. This couple was aged 87 and, and 86. So these older people are now dead because this ISIS wannabe, decided he wanted to kill them. 22 years old, killing people in their 80s. What does this tell us? It tells us a hell of a lot. Let's start with the most obvious. From a terrorism perspective, as of December the 21st, by the way, happy winter solstice, the single greatest threat worldwide, from a terrorist perspective, is still Islamist extremism. ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, Boko Haram, groups that are affiliated or linked to those aforementioned groups are people inspired, the so-called wannabes. Those groups and those individuals are still behind 99.9% of all terrorism on the planet, no matter what anybody wants to tell you about the far-right this and the far-right that. Facts are facts. You can't argue with those. Secondly, it shows that even a country like Australia, which let's face it, is kind of the other side of the world and, and very distant from the so-called conflict zone in the Middle East and Africa has a, ch- a huge problem with Islamist extremism. When I worked for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, I would uh, communicate regularly with my contacts in the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, or ASIO. We met all the time to talk about our own homegrown Islamist extremism problem. And they've had some serious plots and some attacks as we saw just last Thursday in Brisbane. So even Australia, country one would normally associate with perhaps this form of terrorism, is beset by it. The third thing, and perhaps the most important thing about this story, is that Australian authorities had identified somebody whom they knew to be either inspired by or attracted to Islamic State or ISIS, wanted to go back to Somalia, and by his name, I'm assuming it looks like a Somali name to me, Rage Abdi, he wanted to go back to Somalia Whether he was born there, I don't know. I don't know where he was born. Could have been born in Australia for all I know. Sought to leave his country, to go to Somalia, and either from there, going to Syria and Iraq to join ISIS itself. Or, as I've mentioned, there is an Islamic State affiliate in the Horn of Africa, which by the way, just declared war against Al-Shabaab, which is an Al-Qaeda affiliate. And maybe we have terrorists killing terrorists, which is, as I've always said, and I'm sorry for the repetition, a dead terrorist is a good terrorist. Australian authorities knew that he was going to do this. They arrested him, and yet they released him based on insufficient evidence, although they did seize his passport. This reminds me of a lot of things that have happened here in Canada. We had two attacks in 2014, two days apart in October, on the 20th and 22nd, both carried out by individuals who wanted to become part of ISIS, and yet had their passport seized. Both of them said, fine, screw you, if I can't join a terrorist group abroad, I'll carry an attack here. And we had the attack in in Montreal, in which Petitise Vincent, warrant officer, was killed, and the one in Ottawa, in which Corporal Nathan Cirilla was killed, two serving members of the Canadian Armed forces, by people whose travel abroad was thwarted by Canadian officials. The case in Australia looks an awful lot like that. This Raig Abdi wanted to join ISIS. Government said, you can't. He said, well, okay, fine. I'll just do it here then. If I can't do it there, I'm going to do it here. More importantly, what does this tell us about our judicial system? Well, it tells us a lot. It tells us that for whatever reason, Australian authorities were unable to either gather enough evidence immediately to proceed to trial, or had enough within the system itself to guarantee this individual would not be allowed to roam the streets. He was released. He had a GPS bracelet. I'm not an expert on GPS bracelets, but I'm, I don't know if they—if they if they make people commit fewer crimes, certainly they can be monitored, that's the whole point of a GPS bracelet, but if the monitors are kilometers away or in a different city and I walk out of my house today with a knife and run down the street yelling Allahu Akbar and start stabbing people, what good is a GPS bracelet? It's of no use whatsoever because I've gone ahead and I've killed people. There has to be a way for people in Western society, for officials, for security intelligence services, for law enforcement agencies, to have the tools necessary to make sure that people like Mr. Abdi, or people like uh, Michael Saha, people who killed Nathan Cirillo, or, or uh, Martin Couture-Rouleau who killed, who killed Patrice Vincent, they should not be allowed to roam the streets when we know that in fact they have terrorist intent. These people are dangerous people. Their whole raison d'être is to kill people. The kuffar, the so-called unbelievers that, they, that they, see, they see the rest of us as. And yet, they're roaming free. They're walking in our streets, capable of doing anything. See, here's the problem. Is that in our system, and rightfully so, you are presumed innocent until you're found guilty in a court of law. Either by a jury of your peers or by a judge. We don't lock away people indefinitely, unless in fact you deserve to be. You sacrifice your freedom at great cost in our society. And I think we all agree we'd prefer that system to what we're seeing in China with the incarceration up to a million Uyghurs spoiler alert you're going to hear another podcast on what's happening in China in, in a few days and yet we have individuals that go on to kill people because they've been let go so what is the solution I don't know what the solution is I don't think you want to completely tear apart your judicial system which has been formed You know, in the West, based on hundreds, if not thousands of years of judicial practice, we finally got to a point where the system does recognize innocence. It does recognize that freedom is taken away at great cost. And yet we have these people whom we know will kill if they can. So what do we do with them? What if we don't have enough evidence to find them guilty? What if we don't have enough evidence to keep them locked up until they're pending trial? From what I've heard, I'm not sure the situation in Australia, jails are full. Corrections officials have too much on their hands as well. Terrorism is just a very, very, very small part of the spectrum of criminal activity. You've got rapists, you've got drug dealers, you've got murderers, you've got those who beat their partners, you've got people who engage in fraud, etc, etc, etc. Where do terrorists fall in all this? Well I would argue that those engaged in fraud are not violent, maybe those are the ones that can be released on bail or pending trial, whereas those who are clearly have violent intention must be locked up. Anyhow, um, my heart goes out to the family of this this older couple enjoying their golden years in life. Here I am talking, it just just past my 60th birthday, and I'm looking forward to decades more of, of living. And the fact that their life was snuffed out by a jihadi who shouldn't have been on the street just makes me sad and it makes me angry. If you have any ideas about this, I'd love to hear from you. Anyhow, that's what I think. What do you think? Should our laws be changed for terrorists? Should they be kept incarcerated indefinitely? Drop me a line. you reach me on email, borealisthreatenrisk at gmail.com, or on Twitter, borealis saves. you can also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content and want to get more, go to my website, borealisthreatenrisk.com, hit the subscribe button, and you get a free Daily Digest, first thing every morning all the content. I'd love to hear from you. I'll talk to you again soon until then stay safe